It's 12.09, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We are on the road in the WTMJ mobile studio. It's part of our Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. We are broadcasting live from Delafield outside the Albrecht Century Store right off of Highway 83. You take the Highway 83 exit. We're in the big shopping center that is just to the north of I-94. We've been here on multiple occasions. reason we're on the road is part of Kids to Kids Christmas. Uh, our Kids to Kids Christmas campaign, this is the 12th year, wraps up, of course, a week from tomorrow with a big event at Capco. But we're going to be here today from noon until 6.30 or so collecting toys. I think everybody knows the drill by now. What we ask you to do is uh, drop off a new um, unwrapped toy. We collect them and then with our friends at the Salvation Army and Capco, make sure they get distributed to needy children. This is the 12th year and I think our goal this year, very aggressive, 20,000 toys. And uh, last week when we did our event at VMP, um, raised, collected over 3,500 toys. Hope to um, at least Hopefully we can match something like that today. So um, stop on by, say hi. The whole like WTMJ crew, the programs are going to be originating from here from noon until 3.30. It is a bit of a cold day, but um, very, very nice. Sunshine is out, and we're going to be having a lot of fun. All right. We start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. Story number one, racist emails sent to two Milwaukee aldermen. Um, this program is about my, my reactions to stuff, and I want to be honest with you about one of the this situation. This is story number one. Now, earlier this week, you will remember when we talked about it on this program, there was this huge flap. A photo gets posted on a Facebook page of three workers who are apparently subcontractors working for a company on a job site in the employ of the city of Milwaukee, and the three workers have guns. And there is a reaction. Some aldermen, Russell Stamper II and others, are, are just appalled by this. They are outraged that and the, the race card gets played. They are outraged that white workers would feel, I don't know, the need to come to work on job sites in the city of Milwaukee and bring firearms. Now, we talked about that uh, once or twice during the course of the week. My reaction, of course, was it would be nice if the aldermen were as concerned with the crime problem in certain areas of the city that require people to feel they need to carry arms as they are about the fact that some workers come and, and carry firearms. So there's this, this huge controversy all week. Should city workers be allowed to carry firearms? I shared with you, I think two days ago, uh, a memo that was sent out by the Department of Public Works after um, a building inspector, um, Greg Ziskowitz, was killed. Um, this was the guy who was killed last March in an attempted carjacking while he was in a city car. And, and essentially, the, the city of Milwaukee, Department of Public Works, their advice to the city workers that they put out in high crime areas is make sure your cell phone is charged and you can run fast. That, that's essentially what they are telling you know, people as far as going out on the streets. I think, candidly, they should be reexamining their process to determine whether under certain situations you should give people the authority to carry firearms. But that's been the ongoing discussion. In any event, uh, the conversation ratcheted up yesterday when two Milwaukee aldermen went public and said that they had received racist emails following this whole discussion and following a hearing on guns in City Hall. Um, the emails apparently were sent by the same 
person. One was sent to Alderman Russell Stamper. One was sent to Alderwoman Malaley Coggs. The email to Coggs, and they had this press conference, and they said, okay, this, this is what's out there. The email to Coggs, and I'm not going to, I will give you the general idea and the drift of what it says. This is what the email said. You colored folks in government should just shut the blank up. Whitey is starting to arm up because all your little, the N-word, a chillin' are robbing and killing. Does the name Ziggy ring a bell? That's, of course, the, the city home inspector. You folks should have been shipped back where you came from when you were freed. And that's that sent to an African-American older woman. It is, of course, a, appalling. Um, Russell Stamper, the second, gets a similar sort of email. It says, you all up in arms over whitey carrying guns in an area of the city where the, quote, animals, end quote, are known to rob and kill Ziggy. Yet two dumb and it uses the N-word, shooting off their guns outside of Brett's farmhouse, drive them out of business, the N-word, ruin everything. Okay, those two were sent, and they are, of course, the the content of that is is absolutely outrageous. The matter has been turned over to the Milwaukee Police Department, who is investigating this, And, and I think that investigation is completely and totally appropriate. Emails like this are completely and totally unacceptable, and I, I hope that they are able to identify who the sender was. All right? So let me say that. By the way, I also have no doubt that the alderman and alderwoman involved actually received those emails. I think those emails were sent to them. It's 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. See, this is one of the beauties of live radio. It's why you want to be listening to all our programming today, because you never know quite what's going to happen when you're out on the road, had a minor technical glitch. Our ace engineer, Mr. Tyler, has got us back up on the air, so that's all great. Okay, big story number one. And again, I am not in a position here to say that I think that these emails that are getting all the attention and the breathless news coverage, um, which quite candidly, if they are legitimate, they deserve that. It is appalling that somebody would send African-American older, uh, African-American elected representatives hateful sort of emails like this. All right? I am thrilled that the district attorney and the Milwaukee police are going to be looking into this because I am curious as to who was responsible. You should be able to figure out you know, where this ultimately came from. All I'm saying is that occasionally you have hoax emails. And as I look and read the text of these emails, it seems like it checks off every box that you would try to check off if you were going to send a hoax email. I'm not in a position to say it is a hoax. I am simply in a position to say I think if I were the media, I'd go slowly on this particular story until more facts emerge. That's all. Big story number two. Day two after the departure of Al Franken. Um, Al Franken did not go graciously into the good night. Al Franken announced that he would be resigning at some point in the future from the U.S. Senate. This allows the Democrat governor of Minnesota to appoint another Democrat. My guess is, first of all, if Minnesota had a Republican Democrat, there w- a Republican governor, there would not have been the pressure brought by other Democratic senators on Al Franken to resign. Al Franken's response is, hey, I don't think I did anything to bring dishonor onto the Senate. This, uh, these things I'm accused of almost all happened before I was in the Senate. I don't, I deny some of the accusations against me. Nevertheless, I'm in an untenable situation. As I said yesterday, what I think happened here was you had Democrats 
particularly female Democrats in the U.S. Senate, who made a political calculation. They want to, in 2018, make the election about who tolerates sexual harassment. And if you have Al Franken in the U.S. Senate, especially with that picture of him from 2003 pretending to grab the breasts of that soldier, of that of the the, the woman while she's in the military uniform, that, that argument gains no traction because you can say, all right, this Republican that I'm running against is soft on sexual harassment, but look, you know, the, the response is, hey, you've got Al Franken, how can you, you know, make that argument? So I think it was a political calculation. I believe Al Franken was thrown under the bus in an effort to, uh, again, try to create a campaign issue for 2018. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to be sorry about Al Franken. You know, he gets whatever he, he deserves. But here is the interesting issue, and I've been thinking about this over the course of the last week or so. Roy Moore, who is running for Senate, he is the Republican candidate in Alabama. The election is going to be on Tuesday. Roy Moore, an incredibly, an incredibly controversial figure. Um, there are allegations against him that he was involved 40 years ago in sexual misconduct involving you know, young girls. Two young girls have said he touched me inappropriately. Other women have come forward and said, you know, he, when he was in his 30s, he was trying to date us when we were teenagers. As I have said repeatedly on this program, that's weird. I, I'm sorry, 32-year-old guy. I don't care if it's Alabama or Anchorage, Alaska. A 32-year-old guy sniffing around shopping malls, uh, chasing after 15, 16-year-old girls is weird. But whether or not he actually sexually assaulted any of them, I don't know. It's 40 years ago. I, I, I just don't know. I don't know how reliable the accusers are. I don't know how reliable his denials are. I, I just don't know. And because the allegations are so old, we're, we're never going to know for sure. But nevertheless, I think it's uncontrovertible that you have this guy who, who clearly liked young girls um, at a time where I think most people would say cultural, whatever, culture, regard, regardless of the culture, 32-year-old guys chasing after teenage girls is not a good thing. All right, depending on what poll you look at, Roy Moore can win, um, will win, or might lose. I don't know how the Alabama electorate is going to um, react to all this. If he wins, there's going to be a huge amount of pressure on Republicans in the Senate not to seat him because of all this. But if he wins, if he does become the 52nd Republican senator, you know that his presence is going to be an issue that's going to be used in the upcoming campaign against all the Republicans who are running, certainly for uh, federal office, maybe even statewide office, as the attempt is made to try to link the Republican Party as the party of sexual harassers and child molesters. Right? That's what the argument is going to be. So let's tee this up. Under all the circumstances, might it not be best... If Roy Moore lost, 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Under all the circumstances, Republicans still maintain control of the U.S. Senate. It still have 51 votes. Now the margin is cut by one. The people in Alabama, um, overwhelmingly Republican, for at least a period of time, they get saddled with a Democratic senator. But, but, but. Big picture, long term, looking at the political landscape in 2018. If the goal is to maintain control of the Senate 
and of the House by Republicans. Might it not be better if Roy Moore lost? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And feel free to disagree with me. But you know what? I think, again, big picture, Roy Moore losing on Tuesday is not the worst thing that can happen at all. First of all, I have serious questions about his qualifications, period. Secondly, I think he is going to be a political liability that has the potential to help help crater the Republican Party in 2018. 414-799-1620. We're back to take your calls in just a moment. It's 1226. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Once again, we are broadcasting live from Delafield. We're at the WTMJ Mobile Studio outside Albrecht Century. Albrecht Century is right off of I-94, Highway 83. We're here as part of our Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. I saw some people from the Salvation Army just arrived as well. We are going to be collecting toys all afternoon. We're here from 12 until 6.30. These are all part of the Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. And ultimately, with our friends at Capco and the Salvation Army, It's all going to end up getting distributed to needy kids. This is the 12th year of Kids to Kids Christmas, and we encourage you to stop by and say hi and drop off a new unwrapped toy. We'll make sure it gets to the right space. All right, another day, another horrible, horrible story. Um, This is the way it's being reported. Um, Friday, December 1st, so that would be last Friday, about 5 o'clock, 66th and Brown Deer. There's an Aldi store there. And of course, we're, if, if you're not exactly familiar with this area, that's sort of the Northridge area. I mean, Northridge is 76th and Brown Deer. But, you know, so this is 10 blocks to, to the east. But there's an Aldi store as well as others. And that entire area has been, well, I mean, plagued with crime for a number of years. Not as plagued, perhaps, as other sections of the city of Milwaukee. But there, there's no question that the whole demise of Northridge, I think, was tied in part to crime concerns. So anyhow, there, there is a very chilling surveillance video that, that's out there, and the, the news stations have been broadcasting it. And what it shows is this is about 5 o'clock um, last Friday. It's about 5 o'clock in the evening. It's dark, of course, by 5 o'clock at this time of the year. There, there's a woman who, 60-year-old woman, as it turns out, who's leaving the Aldi store, and she's walking towards her car. You can see her being followed by the, these two thugs. Um, what happens is, so she gets to her car, she sits in her vehicle, when one of the thugs opens the door and tries to remove her from the car. Can you imagine? I mean, sit, you're, you know, you're coming out from a grocery store, you get in your car, you sit down, all of a sudden somebody comes up out of the clear blue, pulls open the car door, and starts to physically grab you from the car. The victim, eh, she decides she's not going to go. She resists, and the suspect, the thug, is eventually able to drag her from her car by her ankles and then drive off. Now, here in this particular situation, the police say that this isn't one where the victim, you know, was was doing something irresponsible. This isn't a deal where, you know, somebody, I don't know, left their car unlocked. She's getting in her car. Um, the police say that the female did her best to try to limit the ability to leave in her vehicle. Unfortunately, she had to get out of the way and before she was almost run over. So they, they pull they pull her out of the car, and the car is, is stolen. 
All right, the vehicle was later located by the Milwaukee Police Department after a pursuit. The vehicle crashes, and the occupants were arrested. All right, um, what happens is they find out, you know, who, who it is. At least they got one of the two people who stole the car, carjacked this. And it's a 16-year-old boy. 16-year-old Milwaukee teen has subsequently been charged with armed robbery and other charges related to the car theft. Now, wait a minute here. Of course, since he's 16, that means that he is a juvenile. Now, in this particular case, since it was a crime of violence, the district attorney says that they intend to file a petition to move the 16-year-old into adult court, which is, is great. Treat him like an adult. My guess, though, is that this 16-year-old, this is not his first time at the rodeo. My guess is that this 16-year-old probably has a criminal record as long as your arm and has never been treated as an adult before. I could be wrong, but my guess is you just don't wake up one morning and say, hey, I've never been convicted, I've never committed a crime, I've never done anything wrong, today's the day I'm going to go over to the Aldi's on 66th and Brown Deer, stalk a 60-year-old woman, try to pull her out of the car, wrestle with her, ultimately do it, and, and, and steal the car. My guess is this is not this kid's first time at the rodeo. Now, I bring this up because there was a story earlier this week. Um, Channel 58 did an interview with uh, Joe Donald. He is the presiding judge for the Milwaukee County Children's Court. All right? And and they say, they go to Channel 58 to give him credit. They, they go to, to Donald and they say, look, judge, um, you've got juvenile crime that is out of control in, in this area. You've got the Milwaukee police chief who says... Hey, you know, we we arrest these people, we arrest these kids, and they are back out on the street over and over again. It says we we're doing our part. We need the juvenile justice system to do its. John Judge Donald, who again is the guy that's in charge of the juvenile court, his response is, well, um, let me see. I want to quote it directly here. It is very difficult to say with certainty whether any particular penalty is going to stop a kid from reoffending, Hmm. It's a matter of putting the right kids in the right situation for the right length of time. Um, sending juveniles to places like Lincoln Hills, he says, is a final resort. If we do that as a system, we have failed. Simply, simply locking them up, in my opinion, is not a solution. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I could not disagree with this judge more. Now, I understand if you are talking about a first-time juvenile offender who has done something which is minor. Right, you want to give the kid another chance, I get it. But when it comes to people who have engaged in multiple criminal acts, multiple car thefts, now in this case it's a carjacking, you've got no choice but to try to wave the 16-year-old into adult court. But I think this idea that, well, locking them up is not a solution the heck with that? Of course it is the solution. And as a matter of fact, it is the only solution that should be looked at, or at least it should be the solution which is looked at as a first option. Now, again, I'm not talking about the kid that gets nailed for shoplifting the candy bars. But if you are stealing cars, for example, um, and certainly, I mean, I'd say your first time, but if it's your second or your third time at the rodeo, you're stealing cars, or you're engaged in a burglary, or something like that, you're darn right you need to be locked up. At some point in time, 
we have to start protecting the rest of us from these dangerous criminals. Now, like I say, this 16-year-old who attacked the 60-year-old woman, pulled her out of the car, traumatized her, drove off, ended up then, you know, he gets arrested, but there's a high-speed pursuit when the cops try to find him. Now, maybe this was the 16-year-old's first time at the rodeo, but what do you want to bet? No, the answer is to say to this judge, no, you are absolutely, completely, and totally wrong. Locking them up is the answer. Hopefully they'll get some education. Hopefully, you know, they'll be there and they'll use it to their time. But you know what the reality is? If you don't lock them up, you are just making it easier for them to continue to victimize the rest of us. 414-799-1620. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, Hey, Mike. uh, Mike, well, I kind of stole my thunder, but I say that lock all these kids up, get them off the streets as long as possible, put them in some kind of a educational program in the jail there and teach them sure. how to read and write. And then after that, maybe they can get a some kind of a uh, sidestep job into the job market and teach them some responsibility. But get them away from people. Get them off the streets and keep us safe. Well, 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 exactly. And again, I, I'm not saying if somebody shoplifts a candy bar, but you know, you've had situations. The Milwaukee District Attorney's Office, Mike, for simple car theft, they will not right wave kids into adult court. And part of it is because they th- they know that the judges won't do this. So you have these kids that are out there stealing car after car after car. And I understand and appreciate the frustration that the cops have. We catch them. We turn around. They're out on the street. Why even bother? Well, it's because you've got a revolving door system. And you've got judges who say, well, locking them up, that's not the solution. The heck it isn't the solution. Protect us, for goodness sakes. Yeah, maybe they should steal Judge Joe's car. See what he thinks after that. <laughs> Thanks for the call. Well, that's that, that's kind of that's sort of it. And what we are seeing over and over again is this whole notion that all right, we, we don't do anything. We slap them on the wrist. We give them probation or double secret probation. We send them back to their parents. Well, they're out there doing the same things over and over again, and eventually they become emboldened and it escalates. I won't say every, but many of the pre-sentence reports I used to review in another life before sentencing, you, you saw a gradually escalating series of bad behavior. You know, maybe it starts off as petty theft, then it escalates to car theft, then it's burglary, then it's carjacking or armed robbery or whatever, and eventually the conduct gets so bad that you have no choice that you have to send people to prison. Oh my gosh, Jeff, you're talking about sending a 16-year-old to prison? Yes! Yes! That 16-year-old, if that 16-year-old in fact, came up and assaulted a 60-year-old woman in the parking lot of a shopping center in Brown Deer at 5 o'clock and pulled her out of the car and stole her car and fled from the cops? Yes, yes, he needs to be in some form of incarcerate, incarcerated in some way, shape, or form. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1245. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from the Albrecht's Century Store in Delafield as part of the Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. Okay, I mean, I thought it was interesting. Earlier this week, Milwaukee County Judge Joe Donald, who is the head of the juvenile court judges, he he gives this interview with Channel 58 where he says, look, I I, I understand that people are frustrated with juvenile crime, but, but you know what? Locking, that we can't just lock them up. And he says, I have no plans to start issuing harsher sentences. Um... All right. Now, it's interesting because that comes in the same week that we have situation where the cops catch a 16-year-old. And again, my guess is 
He's been through the juvenile court system before, who stalks a woman a week ago today at the Aldi store on 66th and Brown Deer Road, follows her to her car. She gets in her car, and he, he then start, he op- forces the door open, struggles with her, pulls her out ultimately by the ankles, drives off, almost hits a couple other bystanders. And, and, and now the DA's office, they're going to try to wave the kid into adult court. But my response is, you know, adult court or juvenile court, these are the people that need to be locked up. Sherry in Hartford. Sherry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, let me start by saying I am a lover of Milwaukee. I have frequently been in a position to defend the city. I don't live there now, but I have in the past, and I really hope one day to retire there because all of the services and fun things I want are there. Sure. But the other day... I was on the way home from visiting my mom, who lives on East North Avenue, and I took Good Hope home, and I was honestly afraid to stop for gas. I was afraid to stop to pick up dinner. I have never been afraid before. So I really think that we need more serious um, penalties. Adult crimes need adult consequences. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And I mean, I, you hear a story like this, and you know, sure, it, it just kind of, it's just sort of chilling. I mean, it's it's five o'clock on a Friday. It's after work. My guess is this woman is stopping by the grocery store to pick up some food for dinner for Friday night or shopping for the weekend or whatever. And you get followed out by a couple thugs and physically pulled out of your car, you know, on 66th and Brown Deer. And again. You know, assuming that this isn't this kid's first time at the rodeo, you wonder why he was out on the street to do this in the first place. Right. If I follow my life my life plan, I'll be well over 60 by the time I move back to Milwaukee, but I don't know if that really should be my life plan now. Yeah. No, thank, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And again, I want to want to make it clear that the judge in this case wasn't talking about this specific 16-year-old. He was giving a general interview to Channel 58, where Channel 58 asks these questions that you'd like to hear some of these judges have to answer about, you know, why is it that so many juveniles are just turned loose again? Why is it that people who re-offend don't get sent off to facilities, and then you get this gobbledygook about it's very difficult to say with certainty whether any particular penalty is going to stop a kid from reoffending. No, no, that's not t- 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 that's not difficult to say. You incarcerate the kid. I guarantee you, they're not going to reoffend at least during the period of time while they are in fact incarcerated. That's one of the reasons you have incarceration. Now, it, it is to protect us, and why you have so many judges that refuse, in my opinion, to do what they should be doing, which is to protect the general public. I have no issues with rehabilitation and things like that. I, I hope, you know, I hope if somebody gets sent off to a place like Lincoln Hills, you can use that time to try to become a better person and get your GED or, again, try to develop some skill. But at the same time, if you are out there terrorizing the community, we need to be protected. Jeff in Milwaukee. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Good afternoon. Yeah, that judge is a complete idiot, in my opinion. Um, I wish I wish to God that after you left the DA's office, Jeff, I wish you would have became a judge. You'd be great. Um, the, the word is out. These kids, they're, they're, I'm for sure they're coming out of jail after two days, getting slapped on the wrist, and they're telling all their friends and homies and buddies that, hey, look what I got away with. The word is out that nothing is going to happen to them. Yep. These kids need, need to be taken out of society and punished for what is going on. And once the word gets out that, hey, they're cracking down, it will 
the crime will decline as far as. Well, Jeff, I, I, I mean, I think it, I, mean, I, I think that, see, and here's the problem. The reality of this is, most most of the crime is committed by a relatively small percentage of people. Most kids are good kids. Most of the adults are, are, are just never have contact with the cops. But you have these repeat criminals. And look, and I, I've said this before, I am all in favor of, I mean, I, I don't know how it is that you prevent crime. I, I mean, I, I just don't. There's all these different theories that are out there, and, and I understand it has to do with maybe the hopelessness that people have and, and the lack of family upbringing and all this type of stuff. And I'm all in favor of trying to get at the root cause of crime. I, I am. But I'm not smart enough to figure out what that is all about. What I do know is, is that when you have people who do bad things, and they do bad things repeatedly, I don't care if they're 14 or 44 or 84, there needs to be consequences. And Jeff, when you talk about this whole idea of, um, you know, people, the word getting out, they know that there's nothing bad that's going to happen. You're, you're right. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I mean, that's one of the reasons you had that people run from the cops all the time. Ed Flynn's policy, when he said, okay, we're not going to chase except in very limited circumstances, the bad guys quickly learned that. And that's why you had the number of people fleeing from police just went through the roof. Well, now he's come away with from that. And, and I mean, I give him some degree of credit for recognizing belatedly that he was wrong. I, you know, when, when are these juvenile court judges going to recognize that what whatever we might have thought about how we handle juvenile crime in the 60s or the 70s or maybe the 80s or maybe the 90s I don't know but that's not working in 2017 that's what the frustration of this is Ross in Brookfield Ross you're on WTMJ good afternoon hey Jeff hi Ross hey how you doing um good I actually have I've been a victim um of car theft um, I was I was in the third ward last year, in the middle of the day, and my Jeep was stolen. And uh, I play for a living. I'm a DJ, and I had all my stuff in there, and mm-hmm. uh, it was stolen. The cops thought the guys were anywhere from 10 to 16 years old. They were never caught. My Jeep was totaled. Go ahead. Do we lose you there? Oh. Okay. Thank. Oh, go ahead, Ross. Sorry, my life was was totally changed. Um, when the and they cleaned my equipment, and uh, they never caught the kids. And uh, the judges don't think about how it affects the victim. They're handing down these like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, Ross. Thanks for coming. Sorry, your cell phone was cutting out a little bit. Yeah, that, that's okay. Right. Like, let's take your situation. You you find yourself okay. First of all, your car is gone. Secondly, you know the stuff you use to make a live your your livelihood that's gone. Maybe there's insurance. Maybe there's not. I I don't know. But nevertheless, um, first of all, you are violated. Secondly, um, you know there is going to be a financial cost to you and an incredible inconvenience. Yeah, you are a victim. Why don't we have people who are willing once and for all to stand up? And say, look, we're going to deal. We're going to deal with the victims, um, and, and we're going to be concerned about them. And I'm not saying for again every first offender who does something minor that you send them off and incarcerate them. I'm not saying that. But for people who repeatedly steal cars or repeatedly rob people or engage in antisocial behavior, yes, 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 judge, um, locking them up is the solution.
It is the number one solution that should be used. And if the legislature needs to change the juvenile justice laws, and I've argued this before, I think names of juvenile offenders should be made public. I think you have a right to know if there's a kid, that 16-year-old kid that lives in your neighborhood that's stolen 25 cars or been involved in burglaries and never gotten waived into adult court. You have the right and the public has the right to know about it. It's time to recognize that for the juveniles who are committing crimes, what we are doing now isn't working. 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live outside our Kids to Kids Christmas collection event at Albrecht Century in Delafield. Stick around. It's 110, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Glad to have you with us. We are broadcasting live again from outside the Albrecht Century store in Delafield, part of the Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. Number of you have been stopping off already and dropping off toys. That is outstanding. I also see that they have a toy drop off inside. The folks at Albrecht Century, um, they've also they're selling some toys inside as well, and they've got a big bin where you can drop that off. In addition, you can drop off toys. We've got our members of the street team outside braving the cold. You're supposed to be braving the cold, Jordan. Get out there. You know? You're supposed to be braving the cold. Anyways, as people stop off and collect the toys. So we're going to be here until 6.30 this afternoon. Stop by. I, I just kind of rhetorically, th- does everybody on the Packers smoke dope? I, I, it, I, here's the latest that's being reported. Green Bay Packers tight end Lance Kendricks. He was one of the two tight ends that they brought in. We all know how the, uh, the, the Bennett signing worked. Green Bay Packers tight end Lance Kendricks has been charged with possession of marijuana stemming from a traffic stop in early September. Uh, the charge was filed December 5th. Kendricks, 29, was stopped for speeding in an early, on the early morning hours of September 2nd while driving home from Wisconsin's football game against Utah State. Though he only received a warning, he was driving 81 miles an hour in a 70-mile-an-hour zone. I get that. A state trooper smelled marijuana through the passenger window during a conversation with Kendricks. A search of the vehicle produced a small round Louis Vuitton toiletry type bag containing marijuana, two packs of rolling papers, and a metal grinder. Oh, for God's sake. According to the incident report, Kendricks originally told the trooper he smoked all the marijuana in the bag before ultimately disclosing the, left, disclosing the leftovers. Uh, Kendricks was allowed to leave the scene with a warning for speeding, and the trooper referred potential drug charges to the Allegheny District Attorney. Um, and then they've now issued charges. This, of course, is the, the latest in a series of Green Bay Packer players who have been busted for for pot. Um, Aaron Jones, uh, of course, the the running back who scored the big time touchdown. Um, he's facing a marijuana related charge as well, and. Kind of the beat goes on and on. Um, you know, once again, in the case of Aaron Jones, um, he was arrested in early October, faces several charges after a traffic stop in which he admitted to smoking marijuana. Um, blah de blah, blah de blah. Um, Jones was pulled over for speeding on State 172 in Ashwaubenon, 11:37 a.m. on October 1st. State trooper clocked Jones traveling 79 in a 55 mile an hour zone. Report states that tro- the trooper smelled marijuana emanating from the vehicle and observed Jones's eyes to be red and bloodshot. Jones told the trooper he had woken up three hours earlier, smoked marijuana after eating breakfast. Well, that's the breakfast of champions, you know. You have your Wheaties your ego waffle, and then you smoke a joint, then you get behind the wheel of a car. Search of the vehicle did not produce any narcotics or paraphernalia. Second trooper arrived at the scene. Uh, they did field sobriety, etc., um, etc. Et Regardless, um, 
this, this is, of course, and then there's been others, you know, Geronimo Allison, and of course, you know, the guy that used to play uh, the defensive on the defensive line for the Packers, who was arrested with a large quantity, what was it, guy in a large quantity of marijuana and a gun and all that sort of stuff. I guess what's frustrating to me about this is that um, these professional athletes have such a limited window of time, in, in general, to make money and to enjoy their livelihoods and things like that, that you would think for that, that brief period of time that's going to be available for them, they, they would either be able to avoid using controlled substances, and regardless of how you feel about whether marijuana should be legalized or not, it, it's not. You know, at least it's not in the state of Wisconsin. On top of that, it's this thing that these guys are going to smoke dope and get behind the wheel of the car. I mean, you would think that these professional athletes make enough dough so that if they decide that, hey, I, I want to go out, you know, after smoking dope or whatever, you would think that, well, okay, they would have one of their hangers-on or family members or friends who would drive at the time, so at least, I don't know, the possibility that they might get busted would go down a little bit. Just just frustrating. All right, yesterday during the 12 o'clock hour, I, I admit I got up on my soapbox about this Department of Justice report that was issued uh, two days ago outlining the just incredible abuses engaged in by people working at on the taxpayer dime for the now disbanded Government Accountability Board. And it's just, the more I read this 91-page report that came out from the Attorney General, that just the more frustrating it, it becomes when you see that you clearly had, as many of us have been saying for five or six years, you had, you had taxpayer paid for employees who had decided to engage in a vendetta and a witch hunt against the governor of the state of Wisconsin. This entire investigation started when Scott Walker, as county executive, reports um, his belief that there was somebody who was involved with this this picnic that we used to have at uh, over the 4th of July called Operation Honor, um, that somebody involved in that was stealing money. Somehow, through judges who did not do their job, prosecutors who, in my opinion, went rogue, and government accountability board people who had an agenda, a political agenda that they decided to advance, somehow what started off as this investigation into did somebody steal from Operation Honor turns into the seizure of hundreds of thousands of personal emails of conservatives all across the state, many of which, most of which, had nothing to do with anything that could be remotely considered to be criminal. Personal conversations between state legislatures and legislators and their children over medical issues. Um, you know, timing of it just it goes on and on. But this is how how awful it got in the state of Wisconsin. And I guess one of the things that is most frustrating to me about this entire situation is part of the reason that it was allowed to go on and happened like it did. I think it's not just the rogue tax that the rogue employees and they deserve everything bad possible that could happen to them. But it was also again the, the mainstream media in this state that sets itself up a, as a watchdog that is supposed to be looking out for abuses. What happened in this situation was that the hatred of Scott Walker was so intense the Walker derangement syndrome, the antagonism towards conservatives who dared to do Act 10, 
That, I think, played into the fact that the media, from editorial writers at the local newspaper and the Madison newspaper to the reporters, they just didn't want to hear about these abuses. They didn't want to believe that, or they thought the end justified the means. So they never vigorously pursued trying to figure out how, how bad this was. They Now, I will be curious to know who some of their sources were for some of the stories that they ended up running. But this was one where you had the media that portrays itself as a watchdog that simply decided, all right, any efforts to bring down Scott Walker, we're 100% behind him, and we are not going to examine critically the means that are being used. That is what allowed this prosecution and these John Doe investigations to go completely and totally off the rails. So there's a couple lessons here. One is that, again, you have government employees with agendas that are going to be willing to weaponize the abilities that they have and the power they have, and that is scary. And it's even scarier that members of the media who set themselves up as being the ones who hold the government accountable can decide from time to time that, well, if we believe in the ultimate objective, we are going to be derelict in our duty. So there's a lot of blame that goes around here. And quite candidly, in newsrooms all across this state, there should be a lot of soul-searching going on. Do I think that's happening? No, but there should be. It's 118. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 122, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Once again, our Kids to Kids Christmas toy collection drive underway. We are at Albrecht Century in Delafield. That is right off of Highway 83. 83. I'm watching the freeway right now. We've been here on multiple occasions before. We've got people braving the cold, collecting toys. Stop by, drop off a new unwrapped toy, and we will make sure it gets to a needy child this uh, uh, a needy child this holiday season. In addition, they're actually selling toys inside the store, and they've got a big bin where you can actually you know actually pick up a toy and drop it off as well. So um, we are hoping to generate a, again a huge response, and I know lots of people have come by already. We're going to be here all day. All right, next story. All right, the Grinch or rules are rules. I, I want to tell you, this story comes out of Wilmington, North Carolina, but it can, can come from anywhere. There, there's a, a senior living community. So got it? And there, as part of, of the lease at the senior, committed, at the senior community, there is, there is a section in the lease that says, tenant agrees not to, eight, hang up or display signs, clothing, mops, rugs, blankets, or other items outside of the premises in the view of public areas. So in other words, what they're trying to do is they don't want people to put stuff in the hallways or on their doors or things like that. That's, and, you know, I, I guess that's kind of the, the idea that they're, they're hoping for. All right, here's what's happened, though. Um, over the years, what they have done is the residents have had, do- around the holidays, They've had door decorating contests. They've had wrapping paper covered doors. They've had wreaths, all those different things. Hey, it's the holiday season. You know, let's decorate the door. Okay, we're in a senior living facility. Let's make it cheery, right? Okay, so they've started putting things up. Well, this year, management has come down and they said, you know what? Uh, No more. Your lease says you can't put stuff outside the door. And what... You know, we are concerned about is that, you know, if you do some of this stuff on your door or outside, that there are some people out there who might find um, this to be offensive. 
And so no decorations outside the door, no holiday decorations outside the door. They say this policy is not intended to hurt the holiday season, but to preserve it. And they say you can come down, you can decorate the common areas, but nothing on your door. Well, this is getting all sorts of attention because the residents are saying, wait a second, what's wrong if we want to put a wreath outside our door? Who is going to be able reasonably to find something like that to be offensive? All right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that you've got this rules or rules mentality. The, the lease says you're not supposed to put stuff, you know, in the hallway, essentially outside your, your residence. Get it? Understand that. But at the same time, is there really anybody out there who could find it offensive if somebody wants to put a wreath up on, on their door or whatever, you know, I, or if you want to decorate your door to make it look like a, a Christmas package or something like that? or a holiday package, if you prefer. I mean, is this really the type of thing that management should be enforcing? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I, I understand you've got these rules. I just don't buy this idea that if you allow a wreath on a door, that all of a sudden means that you have to, I don't know, allow somebody to put a Black Sabbath poster up on their wall or on their door come July. 414-799-1620. What do you think, though? We discuss next. It's 126. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 128. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so there's a senior living facility. It's in Wilmington, North Carolina, but it could be anywhere. The, the lease says you can't put stuff on your doors or outside your, your apartment. And, and what they want is they don't want they, it says hang or display signs. So they don't want political signs that are out there, clothing, mops, blanket, rubs, rubs, rugs, or anything. Since it opened in 2012, though, they, they, they've let people put up outside holiday decorations. They've let them put out a wreath or they've let them decorate the outside of their door like a Christmas pet present, you know, with, you know, with wrapping paper and bows and that type of stuff. This year they're saying that's it. One of the residents put out a wreath and now that resident has been told that they're in violation of the lease. 414-799-1620. My comment is, really? Carrie in Oak Creek. Carrie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. And I happen to think that's really sad that they're doing that. My mom is in a residential facility. She was diagnosed at a young age with dementia. Um, and I happen to know for a fact that the personalization of their doors kind of gives them a little bit of their own personality in an otherwise very um, sometimes sad kind of setting, depending on where the residents are. And um, yeah. uh, they're never in danger to the other residents. You know, these things are, it's never big or gaudy. It's always, it's very kind of fun to see what they put up or, you know, what they have. Yeah. And I think it's really, it's needed. It's a very little thing. In what can be a very sad situation. Yeah, it's the entire. I mean, I. I mean, I understand, Carrie, why you don't. Why you have the the rule? I, I get it. You don't want people putting up, you know, dueling political signs or junking up the outside of the place. I understand all that, but that's not what this is. This is. I mean, it's a wreath at the holiday time for good. It's a seasonal wreath, or it's like you're talking about, you know, individualizing it. You know, putting up Christmas cards from your grandkids or whatever. You know, who in the world would try to stop something like this? 
Well, and depending on the facility, if it's more of an independent-based, where the residents are independent but living in their own apartments, maybe it's different. But I've been to several of them, and my mother's in one where it's kind of a memory care. And honestly, to be very honest and, and blunt, they don't care about what's going on in the real world. So what they have on their doors or in their rooms is almost always in very sweet taste. Yeah. It's very cute. It's very, it's, it just really makes, it helps them to still have a little part of them on their door. When we have our homes, we have mailboxes, we have plants outside. However we decorate so, our homes and our apartments, they don't have that luxury anymore. So many things are stripped of them. So to be able to put something little or fun or colorful or festive on their door is one right. small way of them re, uh, holding on to their dignity. Thanks for the call, Carrie. And, and, and to now be clear, they're, they're allowed to have ornaments inside their house. So, I mean, it's not like it's been completely banned inside their, their units, their apartments or their rooms or whatever. It's not like it's been completely banned. But at the same time, see, this is this to me is this overreaction. And I have somebody on the line who was going to say, well, many places choose to do this because of fire hazards. That's not why they, they ban this. That, that They're not concerned about the fire hazards. They're very, very clear. They're saying that what happened was somebody found this to be offensive. Somebody complained and as a result they've now decided they need to strictly enforce this who complains about a christmas wreath really it's one it's 136 jeff wagner wtmj so glad to have you with us once again kids to kids christmas we're broadcasting live from the wtmj mobile studio we are outside albrecht century in delafield Highway 83 and I-94. A lot of people are stopping by and dropping off new unwrapped toys. This all leads up to the big uh, finale of our collection events, which occurs a week from tomorrow at Capco and Grafton. We had the president of Capco, Jim Kaczmarek, on yesterday just talking about it. It is a tremendous event. All right, where do we go from here? Let me back into this topic. Um, When I was younger, when I was a wee lad, the drinking age was 18. And I can remember spending many a misbegotten night, even though I never went to the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. I was not a UWM student. But um, myself and and my buddies, uh, only one of whom went to UWM, um, would would go down and we would go to the student union. And they used to have, they had, maybe they still do, they had like a, I don't know if they call it the guest house or the beer scale or whatever. They had something in the basement where, you know, you could go and get pitchers of beer, and it was cheap. And they had this thing called the Flicks, I remember, where on certain evenings they would show not current but kind of second-run type of movies, and, and you could buy beer there. Now, this was before. I know nowadays, you know, you could go to movie theaters and you can buy you can buy beer. But that that was, you know, back in the mid-'70s, that just did not happen. So, I mean, I can remember spending Many days, many nights down at, at UWM, you know, at the student union. The student union, actually at UWM, I, I get the sense, and it's been a long time since I've been there, but I get the sense that it's it's pretty much largely unchanged from the time, you know, that I was going down there years and years ago. Um, the UWM union is the only um, four-year campus in the UW system that hasn't either built a new student union or renovated one in recent years. So there's a huge expense to doing this. So what they want to do is there's this project that UWM, the powers that be, have come up with that would renovate the the union, um, and it would cost about $129 million. Uh, The current union 
uh, was built in 1956. And like I say, I, I think it's pretty much still has it been you know renovated at least. But I don't know that it's had anything big done to it probably since 56. Okay, so the plan is it's going to cost 129 million dollars. All right, that dough has to come from somewhere. So what UWM came up with is they said, what we want to do is we want to increase student fees. Um, Right now, students pay about $75 a semester to maintain the 60-year-old union. So about $75 of their fees goes to maintaining the union. That's per semester, so it's 150 bucks a year, again, assuming that you've got, you know, you're in two semesters. Uh, the proposal would have added $124 per semester to student fees. So instead of paying $75 in fees to maintain the union, uh, you would have essentially paid $124. Um, so... Uh, you add it to the 75, it goes from 75 bucks to about $200 a semester. It goes from $150 a semester a, a year to $400 a year. So they had a referendum. They said, here's what let, let, let's do. Let's ask the kids. Let's ask the students. Let's a- And I apologize for kids. I know that there's some adults who do this as well. Let's ask the, the students how they feel about this. So they had an advisory referendum. And the referendum um, crashed and burned. Uh, the referendum vote was 6,500 people in favor, 8,800 people opposed, 3,000 people abstaining. But in any event, the no's had it. So this advisory referendum results in UWM students saying, hey, we don't want to have um, our the portion of our fees um, that are devoted towards the union, we don't want to have them go from 150 to 400 bucks a, a year. Um, this opinion, though, was only a- advisory. So now the question is, what what happens now? And in spite of this no vote, should the Board of Regents, should the UW system, should they still go ahead and approve the renovations and look at increasing the student activity fees? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What happens to the union now? The students have said we don't want to pay for a new union. At least, at least eighty eight hundred of the people that voted have said we don't want to pay for a new union out of our student fees. All right. Should the Board of Regents, should the UW system, leave well enough alone and says, okay, the students have spoken. Or is this one where, hey, it's an advisory referendum, we know better, let's go ahead and build. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you where I come down on this in just a moment. But where do you go from here? Again, it's old student union. Um, Obviously, with older buildings, you always have this maintenance. But they asked the students, and at least those students who voted said no. Can you ignore that? Should you ignore it? We discuss next. It's 142. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner broadcasting live from the WTMJ Mobile Studio outside Albrecht Century in Delafield as part of Kids to Kids Christmas. Stick around. It's 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live again from the WTMJ Mobile Studio. We're outside Albrecht Century in Delafield. People are dropping off everything for Kids to Kids Christmas. And 
And I, I tell you, okay, th- this shows what a big event is. Our general manager and program director decided to come out as well and kind of wave the flag. So um, it's it's actually it's a very glorious day outside. So stop off. We're here till 6.30 this afternoon. Um, I'll be here till 3. Then uh, Melissa Barclay, who's in, she's soloing this week. Uh, John McCure's on vacation. And uh, then Greg Matzik after that. Okay, 414-799-1620. Here's the interesting story. Um the UWM Student Union, which I have in the past spent many misbegotten nights at, it really hasn't had any substantial renovation since, again, I would say since 1956. Um, so if you went to UWM in the 60s and 70s, I think the Student Union is largely the same. They have an idea. They want to do a $130 million renovation project. And they, they ask the students. They want to pay with it for student fees and essentially what that would have done is it would have taken the student fees, the portion that goes to support the union, from 150 bucks a year to uh, around $400 a year. And the students said no in an election. 6,000 some said yes, 8,800 said no. What do you do now? Molly in Oconomowoc. Molly, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. I'm a UWM alumni. I went to school there in the late 80s, um, so I've been gone for quite a while. But I think that the the system needs to look at how that union is being used. You know, when I went to school there and when we looked at UWM for my uh, youngest daughter, both of our kids are in college, when we looked at that school, it's primarily a commuter school. And I strongly believe that the vast majority of those students, when they're on campus, they're in class, they're in the library, few people are hanging out in the union the way that they would if this were truly a more residential school. Right. Right. So where does that... So, yeah. I mean, $139 million, who are they kidding? I mean, I've got two kids in college, and if we had the opportunity to even have an advisory vote about anything on the tuition bill... You can bet that we'd be looking at ways to keep that bill down. Yeah, a hundred. I see. I, I think what caught people's attention about this, Molly, was it, it, it's it's the size of it. it. It's the scope of it. it it's saying, okay, you know, you're going to go from seventy five dollars a semester to two hundred dollars a semester. And I think a lot of them said, well, wait, that that's. That's a lot of money. You're not asking for some minor adjustments or something like that. That's a pretty huge downstroke, especially, like you say, for a commuter school where my guess is there's a lot of kids who might not really use the union that much or might not use it in the same way that people at, at, another, at another school might do. I would agree, and I'd love to know what the scope of the project is, whether this is a complete teardown and rebuild or whether they're looking at remodeling. You know, maybe it's an HVAC issue. Maybe there's, you know, energy conservation issues there. I don't know. But I think the scope of the project is absolutely ridiculous. And that money, if you're going to spend any money, should be put into education, honestly. Yeah. Thanks for call, Molly. I appreciate it. Yeah, 130, I mean, I mean, I don't know what $129 million buys you nowadays when, you, when you're talking about construction and things like that, but you, you would think it would be pretty nice. But, but see, here's the bottom line of this, and I guess this is where I come down. The, the fact that you have the students, if you make the decision to have a referendum, and my understanding is this, this is the first time the UW system decided to, hey, let, let's, have, let's have a vote. You know, let's let's ask them about how they feel about this. And given the fact that you made the decision 
to ask for, and again, it's an advisory referendum. It's like, okay, Chris Abley wanted his $60 wheel tax. You had an advisory referendum. 70% of the people say no. All right, well, does that mean that you're necessarily bound by it? No. But if, especially in a situation like this, if you're going to go to the trouble of asking people, do you spend money or not? Now, believe me. If the students, if the vote had gone the other way, if they would have said, yeah, you know that there wouldn't have been any conversation about this at all, people would have rushed into it. But I guess um, my bigger point is if you're going to ask the students, if you're going to go to the point of having this referendum, you at least owe it to the people to follow what they've said. So, I mean, I think quite candidly, this means you go back to the drawing board and you figure it out. 414-799-1620. Kevin and Racine. Kevin, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Kevin. Yeah, I've been touring uh, colleges with, uh, with my daughter. She's a senior in high school. And we toured both UWM and UW-Madison. And when you go to UWM or UW-Madison, you see where the money's spent. Now, did uh, Camp Randall refurbishing, did that all come out, come out of student fees? Or yeah, you go to UW-Milwaukee, and it's a lot of old buildings that they're in good shape, but they're old buildings. Mm-hmm. So I guess, what, okay, when you, when you say you see where the money's spent, are you talking about just the sports facilities, which, by the way, I think most of that, most of it, not all of it, comes a lot of times from, like, the private dona- donations and stuff. But, I mean, what did, what did you see? I mean, you saw a much more modern campus when you went to see Madison? Yes, definitely a much more modern campus. A lot of the buildings are new. Uh, science buildings are relatively new. Mm-hmm. Um, the dorms we went through were, were relatively new. As compared to UW Milwaukee, the the dorms had been refurbished recently, but a lot of the other buildings looked looked they were showing their age. Is it your sense that UWM is being treated kind of like as a second class citizen by the state? That's my feeling. Yeah, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. I you know I've been it's been. A, of course, that's sort of the larger picture. That's sort of the larger question. It's been a long time since I've been, you know, extensively through the places at UWM. Now, the union, the union is a different issue, and the union's a different animal than classrooms and class buildings and and things like that. I mean, when you're talking about the student union, that is the center of, I guess, student activity. But at the same time, that is. In a sense, it is a luxury as well. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Larry in Kenosha. Larry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. I, f- I found what, and I think a lot of people are missing this, is the referendum was put up there that the students would have to pay for it. Yep. And I wonder if that same referendum was put up, and it said <laughs> somebody else will pay for it. Yep. What would have happened to it? Now, see what a great question, Larry. If it wasn't, if it was, if it was other people's money, if it was somebody else's dough, you know, I think you are absolutely right. If it was, gee, would you support a resolution authorizing 130 million dollars for the student union, and you ask the kids to the students to vote? You're right. It would have passed with 98 percent of the vote. Isn't that interesting, though, that when you say you're going to be the one that has to pay for it, then it goes down in flames. I, I, if I can just get the same thing with the arena, I would have would have thought if if there would have been a, a charge on each ticket for everybody that used the new arena, then then I, w- I was what curious how that would have gone over with some of the supporters. Yeah, well, that thanks for the call, Larry. Well, you know, it, it, I mean, it's interesting. I was yeah. I admit, remember years ago before. 
But before Miller Park, or at the contemporaneous with Miller Park, you had the, the Brown County referendum on, on improvements at Lambeau Field. And, I, I mean, that, that was exactly the same sort of question. I thought, I mean, since the Packers are beloved, I thought that was going to be a referendum that passed with 85% of the vote. But because you were asking Brown County residents, it wasn't other people's money to pay for it. I mean, it passed, but it passed by a very, very narrow margin. Isn't that interesting? And actually, I'm glad Larry made that point because that was one of the larger points I was thinking of as well, that when when it affects you, when it is coming out of your pocket, you have a different approach to it than when it is coming out of someone else's pocket. And you see that story play out constantly when it comes to the difference between individuals and government and private businesses and, and government. When, you know, if you you got a private business that's making a decision about, all right, are we going to buy this or are we going to make this hiring decision? There's always this bottom line consideration. All right, it's, it's what do, all right, getting a nice new computer system would be great, but all right, it's going to cost us how much and what's going to be the return on this? Is it really going to be beneficial for us? Um, short-term, long-term, what's the payback period? You go through all those different things. Um, or alternatively, yeah, we'd, we'd like to hire two or three more people, but you know, how much is it going to cost us to do that? What's the salary going to be? What's the benefits going to be? What is that person going to do to help us enhance the bottom line? That's the consideration that you make in the private sector. That's the consideration you make if it's your own life. Gee, I'd love to have that new roof, or I'd love to have that stereo sound TV, but how am I going to pay for it? Oh, God, bring in a bunch of toys for us. I appreciate that. That's it. The public sector, though, it's different because it's not their money. It's not the bureaucrats, uh, you know, it, uh, it's not the bureaucrats in the UW system. It's not the Board of Regents. They're not reaching into their own pocket to do that. It's not, you know, if you're talking about a hiring or a capital expenditure for somebody who's on some public board or an elected official, they're not paying for it. And isn't it a different result when they aren't paying for it? All right, coming up in just a couple minutes. This week, there is a civil rights museum. Uh, the grand opening is actually this weekend. And there is a huge controversy involving President Trump we will discuss. Pop Culture Corner is coming up in a half hour and a lot of stuff between now and then. It is 1.56. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Once again, we're broadcasting from the WTMJ mobile studio. So many people stopping by and dropping off toys. It's part of our Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. We are outside Albrecht Century in Delafield, and we'll be here for the next several hours. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from the WTMJ Mobile Studio. We're outside Albrecht Century in Delafield, part of Kids to Kids Christmas. Stop by, drop off a new unwrapped toy. We appreciate it. The Salvation Army, Capco appreciates it. And most importantly, underprivileged kids will appreciate it this holiday season. All right, next segment. I, I, I mean, my, my reaction to this story, I'll just tell you up front, how petty can you possibly be? Now, this... This weekend, this Saturday, there is the opening of what is called the, it's technically called the, the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum. 
Um, it's going to be, it sits alongside a new Museum of Mississippi History, 200,000 square foot complex in downtown Jackson, Mississippi. The Civil Rights Museum covers the civil rights struggle from 45 until 76 and the white supremacist violence that surrounded it. Um, apparently, the places and dates of Mississippi lynchings are on display, the rifle used to murder uh, Medgar Evers, um, etc. Et and this has been something that's been in the works for years and it, it's funded in general by by state by public financing it is a big big deal the c- number of civil rights luminaries are scheduled to attend the governor of the state of mississippi is going to attend and at the invitation of the governor of the state of mississippi president trump announced that he was going to attend right he is the president of the united states he has been invited to attend the opening of this museum, and he decided that he was going to go. Now, this could go one of two ways. You could have people that treat this as an honor. Oh, this is the opening, the inauguration, the president is going to be here. Or you could have people do what some people have done in Mississippi, which is become outraged. Uh, the president of the NAACP issues a statement saying, I can't believe the governor invited him. Uh, Trump has created a commission to reinforce voter suppression, refused to denounce white supremacists, and overall has created a racially hostile climate in the nation. How dare he come? John Lewis, who um, is a Georgia Democrat, one of the people who marched in the civil rights movement at all, he says that he's not going to show up as long as the president is planning to attend. He says Trump's attendance and his hurtful policies are an insult to the people in the Civil Rights Museum. The struggles represented in this museum exemplify the truth of what really happened in Mississippi. President Trump's disparaging comments about women, the disabled immigrants, National Football League players, etc., etc., yada, yada, yada. Um, I'm not going if he's going. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How petty... How divisive. Like him or not, support him or not, voted for him or not, President Trump is the president of the United States. And here you have the president of the United States who is going to come and attend at the request of, at the invitation of the governor, attend the opening of a again, a museum devoted towards, you know, the civil rights experience and civil rights history, warts and all, especially showcasing the the struggles that, that people had to try to move closer to equality. And you've got some of these politicians who are saying, if the president is going to be here, we are not showing up. All right, is that a reasonable position, position to take, or is that petty and you know, divisive, and I mean divisive in a way that you know whatever you might disagree with, however strongly you might disagree with the president's policies, by saying we don't want the president there. I think you can make a strong argument that that's you want to talk about divisiveness. That that's that's it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think again, it is an honor to have the President of the United States, whether or not that's Bill Clinton or Barack Obama or George Bush or Ronald Reagan or Gerald Ford or Jimmy Carter. In this case, is there no respect for the office of the presidency? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jeff in Pewaukee. Jeff, you're first. Good afternoon. Jeff. 
Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Okay, lost Jeff. 414-799-1620. Let me give Gru a chance to line up more calls. We'll be back in just a minute. 213, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Drive home with John. It's Kids to Kids Christmas. I'm Melissa Barclay in for John, and you can make a difference for kids in our area. The fun begins from Albrecht's Century in Delafield at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Wisconsin's Afternoon News with John McCure on WTMJ. Hey, it's Santa Wagner. The holiday's right around the corner. Let me guess, you don't know what to get that special someone in your life? Well, that's okay. I'm here to help. Why not give the gift that keeps on giving, the gift of a good night's rest? I am talking about my pillow. True story. I was in a bar last night. We were, My wife and I, we were eating dinner at the bar. The bartender came up and said, Jeff, I have, based on your recommendation, just ordered my pillow. I said, have you gotten it yet? She said, no, I ordered it a couple days ago. I'm looking forward to it. I said, you will not be disappointed. And she took advantage of what is the lowest pricing MyPillow has ever offered. Buy one MyPillow, get one absolutely free. Just go to MyPillow.com. You do need to use the promo code WAGNER. This is a gift that keeps on giving. MyPillow 100% machine washable and dryable. Wash it, dry it, and it's like it's new again. It also comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. So, just in time for the holidays, take advantage of MyPillow's very best offer. Go to MyPillow.com. Click on the buy one, get one free special. Use the promo code WAGNER or call 800-953-4163. Ask for the buy one, get one special. That promo code WAGNER is also good for getting up to 50% off all items on the MyPillow website. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas from MyPillow. Dr. Mother Candula discusses snoring, sleep apnea, and why seeing Advent's nose and throat specialists first will give you your best chance at getting a better night's sleep. Snoring and sleep apnea problems start and end with the nose and throat. So if you go to a sleep center or you see your family doctor to be treated for these issues, the root of your problem won't be addressed because they aren't nose and throat specialists. You'll be told to partake in a sleep study and prescribed a CPAP mask. But a CPAP mask can't possibly do what it's supposed to when you have underlying nose and throat issues. At Advent, we offer every available snoring and sleep apnea treatment, and our nose and throat specialists will find the root of your problem. We'll make sure your nose and throat are functioning the way they're supposed to, because that's the only way to truly solve your snoring or sleep apnea problem. Call 414-771-6780. Because your quality of life matters. Advanced ear, nose, and throat specialists. Advent.md. 216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let me give you the flip side of this story. Let us assume, for the sake of argument, that President Trump had been invited to attend the the grand opening of this Mississippi Civil Rights Museum. Really, really big deal. Let us assume he had been invited like he was by the governor, and he had said no. Can you imagine... What would be going on with all the talking heads? There would be outrage. The columnists at the Washington Post and the New York Times and USA Today would be screaming, oh, here is a man who has no concern at all for civil rights. He wouldn't take the time to attend this huge event. That's what would have happened if he had said no. Instead, he gets invited and he says, yes, I'm going to come. 
I, I, I will be there. I will take time away from my schedule. I will fly to Mississippi. I will be in Jackson. I will attend this. And what is the reaction he gets from civil rights leaders? This is appalling. We can't have you here. Talk about, and there's actually, some people are planning boycotts. Some people are planning protests. Really, you want to talk about disrespecting the civil rights movement. That's what this would be. And look, again, I don't care how you feel about President Trump one way or the other. He is the president of the United States. 414-799-1620. Andy in Manitowoc. Andy, you're on WTMJ. Uh, hi. Uh, we're involved in manufacturing up here. And, you know, right now, right in the wave of, of, of everything that's going good on in our economy, which it is great. But, you know, this opposition with everybody is just putting their hands up like children and not accepting the fact and moving on and working together with everybody so we can get something done around here and get this country back on its feet and get it rolling. Um, well, I, I, I'm just, I, I completely agree with you. Yes, he is the president. I voted for Donald Trump because I believe that his, his business-like tactics and things that need to get done to get us back on track. So we're not giving it all away all the time. Yeah. And, uh, but- but the big you know. picture is he's the president. Okay, you can agree with him, you can disagree with him, but you know he, he's going to attend this event. Right? You just respect the office. No, thanks for the call. I mean, look, I've had the opportunity to meet over my lifetime to meet most of the presidents going back to uh, going back to, to Reagan and President Reagan and. I mean, look, was I a supporter of Bill Clinton? No, but you have an opportunity to meet the President of the United States? You say yes, you, you meet the President of the United States. Yeah. Now, thanks for the call, Andy. I appreciate it. And, and again, I just, the, I, I think that the double standard is, is just huge. If he would have said no, and that's the way it you would, think about it, this. It would have. And you see it all the time. It just keeps happening over and over. And, they, you know, they just keep trapping themselves in the same spot, you know. I mean, I tell you what, you know, again, you know, we run a, a profitable business. You know, we're, we're Johnny on the spot when it needs to come to things. And if if, if I was in control of, of any of these other parties and had to say so, man, you know, the, the red tickets would be flying. Because, <laughs> it, 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 you know, yeah. that's our money that they're spending. They're wasting yep. our money trying to run the government. And Thanks for calling. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. I want to get a couple more calls in before I have to take a break. 414-799-1620. Um, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, again, I you don't have to agree with the president on this. And, and maybe you think that his record on civil rights is absolutely appalling. But he's invited to attend the opening of this museum. Wouldn't that be a big deal? You think, oh, we, we had the opening. We had the president here. And instead you have some people saying, well, we're not going to attend. Jeff in South Milwaukee. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, uh, I just wanted to see, you know, I, you know, I never even voted for Donald Trump. And you know what? Everybody's got to just move on here. I mean, let's get along. Let's get this country going again. He's actually not doing too bad of a job. I mean, other than some of the harebrained things he says, I mean, the guy's doing a good job. I really, you know, it's time to move on. We, the country's got to heal, and let's get it going here. We're, I think he's doing a great job right now, other than, you know, some of the you know, tweets well, and all that stuff he does. Right. Yeah. yeah th- I mean, thanks for the call, Jeff. And again, I, I mean, I understand it's a divisive sort of figure. Uh, figure. Here's a um, text we have from Tom and Kiwaskum. The opponents are being hypocrites. To not want the president there is doing nothing but to add to the divisiveness that they accuse Trump of causing. Unbelievable. I, you know, I agree with that. I agree with that completely you know if you want to talk about trying to promote unity and let's kind of come together as a country the the way you 
don't do that is by saying, well, you know, there, there's only certain people that are invited. And I understand that this man was elected president of the United States, and I understand that he carried the state of Mississippi, and I understand that this is a um, this is a, an event, and this is a building that's fun, financed largely by taxpayer dollars. But we know better than all that, so he's not going to be welcome. Bob in Waukesha. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Hey, Bob. Good. What do you Good. think? I, I, you know, I, I just think President Trump is just out of touch with reality, not to mention uh, the struggles that, that the, the black people have encountered over the last several years, uh, several hundred years, I suppose. Uh, just stay home. Stay home. Well, I guess my question would be, who, who decides who's out of touch and, and who's not out of touch? I mean, who's the arbitrator of that? Well, you know, he he, he made a telephone call to a, uh, to, to, to a, a, a soldier who was killed in Niger on October the 4th and referred to her as the woman and his woman... And he didn't even know their names. Well, I, that's right, I, I mean, I, well, okay, Bob, th- thanks for calling. I mean, but again, that's I, I, I understand if you look, I, I understand the, the criticism and the, the comments and the issues with with President Trump, and uh, there, there's been a lot documented on the call to the soldier's wife and issues with that. And, and I, I also, I fully understand that. Uh, there are some people who do not see him as being representative of their particular views and all that, those type of things. And, and I get it, and I understand that. But, again, I keep coming back to this notion that he is the President of the United States and that he is invited to attend an event. And, candidly, I, I think the people, if you want to talk about unifying this country, to simply say, well, we don't like Donald Trump and we're not going to have him, where, where do you draw the line? Well, we don't like this congressman, or we don't like that congressman, or we don't like this senator. No Republicans invited. No Republicans invited to this. I think there's two Republican senators from Mississippi. Sure there are. No, you're not going to be invited because, you know, you're part of the Republican Party. Where do you end up drawing the line? And aren't there occasions maybe like the opening of a civil rights museum where you take politics out of the discussion just saying 223 jeff wagner wtmj it's 235 jeff wagner wtmj all right the wisconsin afternoon gang is here already they're set to start at three o'clock we are of course at the wtmj mobile studio outside albrecht century in delafield as part of the kids to kids christmas campaign we've been doing this for twelve years now um, our goal this year is to collect 20,000 toys. Since the start of the program, we've collected about 160,000 toys. We want to say a special thank you to the Salvation Army with their help at connecting their nations with children uh, in need of presents. And, of course, our friends at CAPCO um, who originated this concept with WTMJ personality, Jonathan Green. Okay, we have reached that point in the week where we kind of put aside the heavy lifting. We, we stop worrying about who's getting tossed out of Congress, and we start worry, stop worrying about, gee, you know, who's going to be carjacked next. All very valid concerns, and we talk about them extensively during the course of the week. But I call this segment Pop Culture Corner, and it's an opportunity to kind of actually go gently into the good weekend. Um, sometimes we talk about food, and sometimes we talk about television, and sometimes books and plays and cars and sports, and just whatever tickles my fancy at a particular time that I hope will find of interest to you. Well, as, as you probably know, I mean, I've been going through some life changes lately and got married a couple months ago, and so there's always, I'm married to a delightful woman who is 
perfect in every way, with perhaps the exception of her current taste in men. But putting that aside, um, it, it, but it, it, there's always kind of this transition period when you, you know, you get married, and you know, now as we're kind of getting ready to move into the house that we purchased together, we're we're living in this relatively small condo it's kind of like being you know 23 years old again and stuff but we're we're we're, we're getting by and and she's actually made more allowances than, than i have but one of the things that we have found out and we knew this when we were dating is that our, our tastes well in, in entertainment as far as like tv and movies well they're, they're kind of far apart um she likes the the soft kind of romantic comedy she's big into the hallmark channel um, she will tell you that if you ask what kind of sports I like, she'll say whatever's on he watches. And, and there is something to that. But one of the things that my wife is finding out is that as a, as a movie fan, um, I, I like to watch movies multiple times. And, and, I, and I mean, I watch movies a lot. If I see a movie that I like, I will watch it, oh, several times. I can't tell you. So what happens is the other night um, she comes home. I, I'm watching. I've got The Godfather on. And she kind of says, I'm just kind of curious. How many times do you think you've seen The Godfather? And I said, uh, I don't know, maybe 100. To which I, I get th- this look that I get often and that all you women, I think you've learned from your wives, from your moms at some point in time, that it's that look that says, I married a moron. Well, I'm getting that, that look. And it's like, a hundred times? How can you watch this movie a hundred times? And I said, well, because I, I, I like it, but that's nothing. Let me tell you about the movies I, I really like. And again, I'm just kind of getting this, this bemused look about, oh, I wish I would have known that before I married this man. But But there's all sorts of movies, again, that I like and that I watch over and over and over again. So based on this conversation, and given the fact that we're coming into the movie season, all sorts of big movies, including Star Wars, for example, are going to be opening up over the course of the next couple weeks, I I am curious, if you could only watch one movie for the rest of your life, you only got one movie, what would that movie be? Now this, uh, and I, I, what's interesting about this to me is it's, I'm not necessarily asking you what your favorite movie is, because it might be, for example, hey, I love Schindler's List. I think that's great, but I mean, you wouldn't want to necessarily watch Schindler's List over and over and over again. Um, maybe it would lose its impact. Maybe it would just be too depressing. You know, whatever. So, what would be if you could only watch one movie for the rest of your life? What would that movie be? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, as we frequently say during these segments, we tend to have very high call volume, so I encourage you, call early. We're going to try to get to as many calls as we possibly can and go with your first instinct. Sometimes people tend to overthink this. could be a comedy, could be a drama, could be a documentary, but you only get to watch one movie for the rest of your life. What is that movie? We're back to talk about it in just a minute. It's Pop Culture Corner on WTMJ. It's 239. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 243. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, for Pop Culture Corner this week, um, if you could only watch one movie for the rest of your life, what would that movie be? Let's start with Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. In addition to it being an awesome movie, I have fond, funny memories of my mom bringing me to this movie and are both of us having our eyes shut during it and that movie is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh eyes shut with during the snake scene and stuff? 
during the snake scene and when the helicopter turns that guy into marinara sauce and then at the end. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right, at the end, yeah. Uh, thanks for the call. No, Ra- Raiders would be, see, Raiders would be one of those sort of fun movies, and, and Raiders is a movie that I don't get tired of watching, no question about it. Let's see. Let's go to our text line, which has exploded. Um, I'm your Huckleberry. That comes from Tombstone. Uh, okay, that was kind of a violent Western there, but all right. That's If that's the one that you want to watch all the time, that works for me. Happy Gilmore, somebody says. Dan texts us, and uh, let's see. Dan says, Dan says, that, 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 uh, Dan's another one for Happy Gilmore. Let's talk to Gino in Milwaukee. Gino, you're on WTMJ. Gino. Okay, let's try Andy in Waukesha. Andy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. First, congratulations Hi. on your marriage. I hope everything is wonderful for you. Everything um, is wonderful. I have outkicked my coverage once again. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Casablanca, without a doubt, I've watched it well over 200 times. The Max Steiner score is magnificent. The, the characterizations is, are wonderful. If you haven't seen it, you've got to see it. You've seen Casablanca over 200 times, huh? Easily. Easily. Yeah. I, I love that movie. Yeah. Now, thanks for the call, Andy. I, by the way, I don't disagree. I've probably seen Casablanca over 200 times as well. Um, it's it's just, I've read all the books about the making of it. It's just, it's one of those movies that I would never get tired of, and it would certainly be in my top five list of, of movies that I could watch over and over again. Jeff in Hartford. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. I don't. Good. What do you think? Okay, you only get to watch one movie for the rest of your life. Uh, Back to the Future. Back to the Future. The first, the first one, right? First one, yeah. First one. Um, yeah, it's Michael J. Fox is so good in that movie. Just so good in that movie. Yeah, the whole whole group. I mean, Christopher Lloyd. Um, right. Just, just hilarious as uh, Doc Brown. So I mean, those movies I grew up on, and I, yeah. my family they watch it over and over. So. Yeah, it, it is it is timeless. So thanks for the call, Jeff. You're you're exactly right. That is that is a timeless movie. The interesting piece of trivia about Back to the Future is um, Michael J. Fox was not originally cast in that role. As a matter of fact, they had filmed most of the movie with another actor whose name is escaping me right at the moment. And, and then they realized it just wasn't working out, and they went and they hired Michael J. Fox, who was doing the TV show. Family ties at the moment, and, and so he did. He did both of them, uh, but you know he is Marty Fox. There's just no question. And that's a great movie, and the first one I think is by far and away the best. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. You get to watch only one movie. What's that going to be? Kevin in Waukesha. Kevin, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Kevin. With Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta. You like the music? What? You like the story? What about it? The music, the story, the dancing, everything. You can never go wrong. I must have watched that at least a hundred times. Yeah, that's, um, yeah. <laughs> no, thanks, it's, thanks, you guys. It's very entertaining. There's, there's no question about it. And um, the, the unique pairing of, of John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John, and I, I tell you, I, I think, you know, for, for for guys, the the thing you always remember is when she comes out in that like black, that tight black outfit at the end of the movie. You go, oh, that's kind of cool. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Mark in Whitewater. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey Jeff, um, the original King Kong, nineteen thirty three. With Fay Ray, the original. Tell me why. Um, well, actually, my dad woke me up on a Saturday night to watch it when I was a kid. About ten thirty at night, my jaw dropped. Okay. Uh, to this day, the special effects at that time were considered state-of-the-art. 
Sure. Uh, and excellent. The previous caller mentioned uh, 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 Casablanca's score by Max Steiner. He also right. wrote the score for the original King Kong. That movie, oh. that music still haunts me <laughs> in the background. Huh, I'm going to have. Thanks for the call. I'm going to have to. It's been a while since I, I've seen the original one. I, I a little bit of King Kong movies go a long way with me, and, and I've seen one or two of the remakes, and they haven't done much with for me. But I will have to go back and, and watch the original one. Uh, John from Eden texts me, "Blazing Saddles." You know that's that that's one of these movies that you could you could you could not make that movie today. You you just. I mean, you know, Mel Brooks was talking about being completely politically incorrect. You just think of all the scenes and the humor and the whether it's the uh, the, the I mean, it would be labeled as racist and homophobic, and then we'd just be going off from there. And, you know, and Mel Brooks just did it to be funny. You could not make Blazing Saddles today, no question about it. Robert in Milwaukee, Robert, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, congratulations on your marriage. Uh, Thank you. A uh, full metal jacket. Oh, Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Very good. Very um, good. you know the the first half of that movie that it's set at uh, what Paris Island or think or, you know of course it's a that's his comment commentary in the Vietnam War that first that first half of that movie I find. I find that to be just incredibly compelling. If, if that's on, I, I, once they actually get in country, I, I kind of I think it becomes more of a typical war movie. But the, that first half, I just I, you can't get enough of it. I think it's tremendous. And everybody yeah. gets upset at me because I say it word for word for the whole, oh. the whole boot camp oh. thing. I know it word for word. Oh yeah, no thanks, Robert. I I get that. I'm that way. Um, I'm that way with Animal House. And a couple of my friends are like that with Animal House. And collectively, if we ever get together, we, we will drive people around us nuts because we just can't help ourselves. Put Niedermeyer on it. 414-799-1620. If you only get to watch one movie for the rest of your life, what would that movie be? Tim in Germantown. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, this is Ken in Germantown. Oh, Ken. Hi, Ken. But, hey, um, the, what came to my mind first, like you said, don't overthink it. Was right. Groundhog Day? It's going to itself anyhow. <laughs> I, you know, um, what was it? This Groundhog Day that they showed twenty four hours of it, and mm-hmm. I, I found myself watching it two or three times. I I kind of got into the Groundhog Day thing. Do you like Bill Murray? I do. I thought I thought yeah. he's a good actor. So yeah, I do. Um, I I do. I do as well. I, I I like Bill Murray as well. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. It's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. John, John, got a problem here. Um, 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, let's see, going back to the text line, the Blues Brothers watched it Sunday after church as kids. We were on a mission from God. Uh, 414-799-1620, grew back at the studio. I've lost my call screen. Tell me who we should go to next, please. Carl in Brown Deer. Carl, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello. How are you today? I am well, thank you, sir. Okay. My movie is Sergio Loney's Once Upon a Time in America. A very underrated movie. Yeah. Very underrated. You know, I um, th- there's the... There's the they they cut like an hour of that out, you know, before they started showing it in movie theaters. The the original unedited version just absolutely tremendous. Um, why do you like it so much? I don't know, just the family conditions yeah. and how it just shows a great story. Yeah, 
I you know thanks for the call. I appreciate you. Yeah, once upon a time in America, outstanding. Okay, we're back. Patrick and Cudahy. Patrick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Wishing everyone season's greetings. Same to um, you, my I, friend. Thank you. Uh, my movie would be Caddyshack. <laughs> okay, <laughs> tell me why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just it's good humor and uh, the good one-liners that they see in the movie. It's just yeah. it's just priceless. You know, um, Rodney Dangerfield is just I. I you know, I, I, I think I just actually think he steals the movie. You know, I just I, I, I just I, I never get tired of watching Caddyshack either. It just I, I don't. No, thanks for the call. That's it. You know, the inter- I was watching this thing on the making of Caddyshack, and it was kind of a disaster in the making. But Rodney Dangerfield and Ted Knight, who played the Judge Smales character, did not get along. And Rodney Dangerfield started playing all sorts of pranks, many of which I can't discuss on the radio. On on Ted Knight, who was Ted Baxter on the Mary Tyler Moore Show, and didn't go over well. Ray and Fonda. Ray, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Congratulations on getting married. Thank you very much. And my favorite is is Die Hard. I can watch that movie over and over and over again. My wife looks at me exactly like George looked at me the other day. Like, seriously, are you really putting this on again? Yeah. Yes, I am, because I've only seen it 200 times, and I love it when Bruce Willis goes, you know, whatever he goes. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny about, it's funny about Die Hard. I had to, when I first watched it, the first time or two, I didn't like it that much, and it has really grown on me over, I, I, I just, I kind of appreciate the performances, and some of them are just campy sort of stuff, and it, I, I don't like the sequels, to tell you the truth, but the original Die Hard, I thought was pretty darn good. And, and, you know what? Who can go wrong? You know, that's Santa's favorite movie on that new commercial. <laughs> that's, that's right. That, thanks for the call, Ray. You know, whenever I talk about Christmas movies, somebody always calls up and says, Die Hard. We, I, I'm not sure it's a Christmas movie, but it's good. Bob in Waterford. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jess. Thanks for taking my call. Congrats thanks on your unity. Um, Thank like you. you said, like you said, my first impulse... And first impulsive would be in Hang 'em High, but my favorite, I guess, would be Goodfellas by Martin Scorsese. Ah, oh, with Ray Liotta and, of course, Joe Pesci in one of the great all-time roles. You know, I don't you, 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 you got De Niro in there too. You know, you got right, some big names. Right? No, it's um, you know that's you know that's another one, and it's on a lot. And you know, I think, well, it's and together. It's I mean, it's tough to say that there's a mob movie that's better than The Godfather, but it's different than The Godfather. There, there's just no question about it. Um, and no, I, I agree with you. I think that's it's a tremendous movie. Thanks for calling, Bob. I, I actually when I, I met Ray Liotta once, um, who's the you know, and I'm not sure he's done that much. He was in uh, uh, Field of Dreams. He played the the father in that, uh, the baseball player. Um, and I'm not sure how much he's really done, but um, he was he was just great in Goodfellas. You know, he was great as that Henry Hill character who was a real loser in real life. Okay, I wish we had more time. We've got jam phone lines and the text line has exploded, but. Again, we have reached that point where I am out of time and I don't have to go home, but Wisconsin's Afternoon News, the gang is here. They are ready to go. We'll find out what they have on their mind in just a moment. Once again, Kids to Kids Christmas. We're in the WTMJ Mobile Studio, Albrecht's Century in Delafield. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 255.